0: what is up my good beautiful people this is deconstructing i am one of your hosts curtis cooper and we are joined by the powerful delaney harris what is up though
1: hey how you doing
0: it's a special one today fam
1: it is
0: because we are back fully officially because this is the first episode that's going to go up in season two okay and we are joined by a very special guest Please introduce yourself, special guest.
2: Hey everyone, my name's Emily Voynier, and I'm here to talk about the Enneagram with Curtis and Delaney.
0: So, like, okay, we got to just start right off the bat, Emily, because we are so hyped to have you here. Um, Tell us a little bit about who you are and why you're here.
2: Sure. So, I'm here one because I'm very passionate about the Enneagram, which I'm sure we're going to get into. soon, but I have a huge passion for mental health and personality and anything holistic. Um, I have been working in the field of mental health for a couple of years now. I'm an, a, a licensed clinical mental health counselor, associate level license here in Raleigh. We hit so I'm big actually time. stationed in Raleigh. Yes. We got yeah. a
0: professional on everybody. <laughs> Let's go.
2: Yeah. So I'm excited to share some information about the Enneagram um, and what I know and how it can be used to grow and learn more about who we are as people
0: cool well then let's get right into it so like what is the Enneagram I mean I sort of know I'm into it but I feel like you've actually read books about it Emily so we're gonna acquiesce to uh your thoughts on it
2: sure so the Enneagram um is basically a personality assessment there's a lot to this personality assessment so Imagine, you know, like Myers Briggs, but on steroids. So
0: Myers Briggs but good hot cake. And
2: Myers Briggs is good. It is good in the context of career and things like that. Um, the Enneagram differs a little bit in that it's more based on human development rather than career placement, um, and Aptitude. how our strengths and weaknesses play into that. Aptitude, yeah, yeah. that's a great description.
0: So Ennea, uh, I mean that means nine, right? <laughs> Does it? I feel like it might, maybe, because I mean there's nine points on this uh, on this enneagram scale, Here. right?
1: I'm going to yes. Google that because I was just Googling the history <laughs> of this. So that's perfect.
2: Yeah. So um, you'll see once you once you look it up that the main um, pictograph that is used to represent the enneagram is actually a circle with several um, arrows across the way. Mm-hmm. And on that circle, there are nine numbers. So nines at the top and then starting from the right, it goes one through eight. Um, so obviously through that, right, there are nine types. That's the premise. Um, and the reason for the arrows and trying to keep this sim- simplified um, as we start here is the concept, a unique concept to the Enneagram is the fact that we are all interconnected. So all of the types, although you may be given if you were to take the assessment a specific type theoretically parts of ourselves are going to resonate with every number on the circle hence the circle right it's all connected Um, and it goes into a lot of depth in how those numbers are connected um specifically in terms of when we are in a more healthy space versus when we're in a space of stress Um, but there's i'm sure we can get into that as we go but that's the general um concept for the art that you'll see when you go to the Enneagram
0: page. Got you. Excellent information. So from like my kind of research about the Enneagram, it seems like the Enneagram also has almost like a spiritual component to it.
2: So can you tell me more about what you mean with your understanding of a spiritual component?
0: So, well, first of all, I know that like there's, there's kind of a not kind of a division because it's kind of too harsh of a word, but in like Christian circles, I know that there's a lot of people who are into the anagram, but then some who are like a little more like put off by it. Um, and let me just Google anagram religious religious origins. Um, so the modern system traces largely to Bolivian philosopher Oscar Ichazo in the 60s and 70s and later his student uh, Claudio Norano a psychiatrist who brought to the United States. Um, Maybe I'm just completely off base saying it has a spiritual component. Well okay go ahead
2: go ahead Delaney.
1: I read somewhere that it was like unclear but some like it says um the roots are disputed and clear, but seem to be connected to different spiritual and oral traditions. And that's from integrative 9.com which is not, I don't know if that's credible or not.
2: Sure. So I, in full transparency, I'm not entirely certain of the origin history. I know that it's kind of a combination of several different theories that people built upon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely don't have a whole lot of knowledge in regards to the specifics of that, but I do think that with any human development and any kind of, you know, personality, religious implications can be applied, um, depending on the person. I think when you go to, so I actually have pulled up the Enneagram Institute. That's the official mm-hmm. website that I'm using as we're speaking, um, for my own, you know, basis is there's, it certainly can touch on religious implications and what spirituality means to to each type, um, but I feel like the the website itself and the general, you know, knowledge and educational piece of the enneagram is more based on human development. In terms of how we understand each type and where the type come from, comes from, I think spirituality can certainly be applied because we're talking mm-hmm. about humanity and that is a huge aspect of right being human and our belief systems.
0: Yeah, what and I think that what what I really love about the Enneagram is maybe what I'm thinking about is how mindful it is. I think mindfulness goes hand in hand with like true spirituality where like you're reaching within yourself and you're connecting different aspects of your personality with your actions and just your overall like vibes. And I think the Enneagram does all that like vague sounding stuff really well.
2: Sure. Yeah, yeah, I think that is very well put. Um, I think an important concept to, uh, you know, just in general, mental health and psychology is making sure that the, the knowledge and the information we're providing is at its very roots, um, educational and that anyone can derive what they need from that information, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, So, whether you feel you're a very spiritual person or maybe you're someone who identifies as not being spiritual, they're very much more grounded and feel like that's, you know, they, whatever their belief system is, it doesn't have to be the same per person and you can still derive really um, intentional meaning and application through this Mm, assessment. Well
1: said.
0: So before we get into like our own personal numbers slash like journeys with the Enneagram, like um, can we just go through like, very briefly all nine numbers just to like give our wonderful audience an overview of like what we're talking about.
2: Sure. So like
0: start starting with one and like just being like hey this is that this is that just very very brief like um, this is basically just the sole like the biggest identifier and I will I will pick up the Enneagram Institute as well should have been more prepared about this. Sorry, everybody. Okay, so, all right, I'm just gonna read, I'm gonna read through them, give kind of my understanding of each one and uh, Emily, Emily and Dell, add whatever comments you'd like to add. I don't so, know
1: anything about the test, but we'll do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, like, Dell, if you have any, like, questions about each one. Okay. All right. So, um, actually, they have really good, like, tight um, Mm -hmm. descriptions of these. So, I'm just going to read word for word. And I'm going to tell exactly where I found this. So, go to the Enneagram Institute and then click on the nine type descriptions, learn more. So, okay. Number one is the reformer. The rational idealistic type principled purposeful self-controlled and perfectionistic i would also add from the ones that i know very morally black and white do you know very many ones emily
2: yes um so so my mother actually i'm sure she wouldn't mind me mentioning this (laughs) is a one um and yeah i think um when you say black and white something that comes to mind is a very strong moral compass
0: yeah, I think Which that's a much neither, less judgy way to put it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I think they just feel very strongly, right, about what they mm-hmm. feel is, is right and wrong. And um, mm-hmm. as you'll see as we go through this, there's each type will, of course, in more detail, talk about strengths and weaknesses and how we can learn from those. But yeah, definitely a strong moral compass. I feel like um, that is a pretty major aspect of being a one. Mm-hmm.
0: So number two is the helper, the caring interpersonal type demonstrative, generous, people-pleasing, and possessive. And uh, twos are interesting. Um, And in my kind of journey with the Enneagram, I've found that like a lot of people, especially women, who tend towards to be like socialized, towards like being like, oh, people-pleasing, even if it's not their core like attribute, tend to identify as twos, even if they've never taken the test.
2: Mm. sure yeah i think that that makes a lot of sense um yeah twos okay. i think you know as you said being being really forward caring and empathetic and warm that's the one of the bigger mm-hmm. um attributes yeah but two, and i think that is true a lot of women do identify as two mm-hmm. and their assessments too A lot, many of them will prove to be twos as well i mean of course oh, not yeah. all women but definitely that's definitely a demographic
0: Number three is the achiever, the success-oriented, pragmatic type, adaptive, excelling, driven, and image-conscious. Threes are wild, man. We will get to that in a second. But uh, yeah, threes are definitely like achievement-oriented. That's kind of what they're known for, achievement-oriented and very socially fluid. Number four, the individualist. They are the sensitive, withdrawn type, expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. Emily, is it fair to call all okay. these? <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, think, I, you're, I-, I think you're getting yeah, to ahead. what
2: exactly what I'm thinking about, which is I think self-absorbed can be a really hot trigger word. Um, yeah. And- some, of the,
0: some of these descriptors are really hardcore. <laughs>
2: Okay. So to be fair, just to clarify, Curtis, I'm realizing that you're, you haven't actually clicked on the type itself. You're just reading from the list, which is perfectly fine. Um, yeah, but I will I, I say didn't, that. did
0: on the type itself. And, it's,
2: and that's totally, especially for being time conscious and following an agenda, right? Per podcasting and making sure it's structured. That's that's fine. But there are a lot of things underneath each type. So anyone who's interested, please feel free to do that. I'm sure. We'll get into some of those too as we go. But for the four, um, I think self-absorbed, there's a lot I more, think,
0: there's a lot more nuance than that.
2: Yes. There's a lot more nuance to that. And I think the word self-absorbed is, um, has a lot of negative connotation mm-hmm. to it. Um, I think, you know, when I think of fours and that, you know, trigger word self-absorbed, I really, I would kind almost of,
0: say more self-aware than anything else. Kind of put a more neutral term on it.
2: Yeah. More it, within their inner world. So yeah. fours have a really rich, diverse depth to them. And that is often how they function is within that world. So mm-hmm. there is a lot of focus on self and self-reflection. I wouldn't necessarily say in that negative connotation of being selfish or detrimental, um, but that focus is there in that inner world that they mm-hmm. have. Um, and so, yes, I, I think that it's good <laughs> to clarify that going forward, because yeah, there are absolutely. some really awesome fours in the world who do a lot of great things, um, and mm-hmm can be caring and all those kind of things, you know, that we don't typically associate when we hear the word Mm -hmm. self-absorbed. Right. So we want to want to make room and space for that.
0: Yeah. And I would say that like, if we're grouping together, like different numbers based off of like intensity and emotional intensity, fours are definitely on the intense side. Yes. I have definitely been close to some fours in the past and, uh, it is really, really, uh, intense. Sure. But wonderful, amazing people Due to that as well. Okay, number five, the investigator. The intense cerebral type. Perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated.
2: Yes. So as you're saying this, um, an important thing to note or talking about that intensity you mentioned is on this circle of the Enneagram, the lower you go on the circle, the more intensive you'll find in terms of like in-depth thought and feeling. So fours, you had that intensive feeling space where you're really mm-hmm. in your world, whereas the five is almost like the flip side of that with thought. So oh, very okay. much an intensive space of thinking and reflection. Um, and that's where we almost get this. the
0: intellectual.
2: Yes. Yes. Very intellectual. So it's that same intensity, but within their mind space, as opposed to mm-hmm. to a feeling space.
0: Okay. So Emily. Um, I forgot to set this boundary outside the podcast. So we're just gonna have to set it within the podcast. Um, what is the ethics about talking about fictional characters in an a Um,
2: I feel like that's... I, I, had,
0: I, I had a thought, but I'm not going to mention it. If you don't think <laughs> that that's kosher. okay.
2: No, I love that. I love that thought. Um, I will say while we're talking about ethics, um, many people really like to talk about their types, right. Um, mm-hmm. you know. it's fun to identify where you are um
0: it's trendy yeah it it
2: can be pop psychology yes pop psychology and there is benefit to having discussions about the enneagram i will say that the enneagram itself the institute kind of warns against trying to label others numbers Mm -hmm. um simply because it is so personal and as i said it's based on like you know human development and also we haven't gotten into this space yet but childhood wounds how that impacts our behavior how that impacts our fears Mm -hmm. our wants um so that is a bit discouraged although I will say many people kind of engage in those conversations anyway I think as long as you're consensual and everyone feels respected and on the same page um that's really the most important thing in terms of going forward with conversations around this particular Mm -hmm. personality assessment
0: So are fictional characters in bounds or out of bounds?
2: <laughs> I feel like fictional characters would be would be in bounds. Yeah, that okay. that feels
0: so uh, um, Fives uh, the the fictional character that I think of when I think of fives. This is a negative example, just to like let everybody know is Walter White from Breaking Bad. I don't know if either of you all have ever seen that show, but like fives um, on the unhealthy side have a tendency to like hold so much in to the point where like eventually it comes out and like some, it might come out in some kind of like episode. And that's basically what Breaking Bad is about. It's about like a very smart person, like not knowing how to deal with anything.
1: Hmm, interesting.
2: So I I haven't actually seen this show, but I think is that, is that the father figure? Yes. Okay. All right. I was totally just guessing because that's literally the only character I am familiar with because I've every no snapshot I've seen has been him, but um,
0: yeah, the bald guy. Him. Did you get cut off, Emily?
2: No. Oh, if I did, I was just saying that that's like interesting to think about um, him being a five. And I think you, I will add, you know, as I'm reflecting on what you just said too, that a huge part of the Enneagram is that whole concept of what types we might gravitate towards and embody Mm -hmm. more traits from when we're stressed. So it sounds like that's pretty relevant in your example of this character from
0: Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. And to put it into even further context, on the show, his wife is a four, a very strong four. And so they are absolute chaos together. Wow. (laughs) very stressful show very good show though i would i would definitely recommend it if uh you're in that headspace okay moving on uh number six the loyalist. these are the committed security oriented type engaging responsible anxious and suspicious i know what sixes. do you yeah very like security slash loyalty oriented people
1: Mm.
2: Yeah, I think, um, strength, there's a lot of strength in that. So when I think mm-hmm. of a six, I think even with the anxiousness, so the anxiousness comes from that security piece. Um, if security is threatened, which unfortunately nowadays that can happen pretty often finances, um, from everywhere. you know, any, anything in life, um, there is that strength and loyalty. So feeling very strongly about that feeling very strongly about being secure, um, very reliable and hardworking. Usually, you know, you'll see sixes are like the that really trustworthy, reliable friend that you, mm-hmm. you know, is going to be loyal and respectful of you. Um, that you maybe, you know, yeah, tried and true, responsible. That's what we see in sixes.
0: Like they would, they, they're often considered like the parents of a group, like the mom or the dad of a group where they like, oh, they bring the snacks or like they're down to just like chill and like, just cause they like the connection.
2: Yeah. I think that that could be, I think six is that and twos, um, very mm-hmm. well could be that, you know, mom, father yeah. figure of the group. Yeah.
0: Moving on to sevens, the enthusiast, they are the busy, fun, loving type, spontaneous, versatile distractible and scattered. Wow. That's, that's a tough last word for them. Like going back to the four, like a lot, some of these are more negative sounding than others are.
2: Yes. So (laughs) Enneagram packs a punch. Uh, There's a, there's a a kind of a funny phrase that always goes around that. If you take the assessment and you feel just a bit offended or maybe even a lot offended by the result you got, you're probably (laughs) in the right (laughs) place. Yep.
0: You're probably in the Um, ballpark.
2: Simply because it is really real in depth. And that's the richness we talk about when we talk about this particular personality assessment.
0: Mm -hmm. Number eight, the challenger. The powerful dominating type. Self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, Emily, question. You said that as the numbers get smaller, the intensity tends to go up. Or is it just more of like the thoughtfulness and like in their own headness?
2: Yes, I think that's a better way to phrase it. Thank you for pointing this out because the eight is definitely intense.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was about, yeah, I was about to say eights are the like, in, yeah. my, in my personal experience, the most intense.
2: Right, but it's outward. So yeah. they can be intense inside too, but there's a lot of the energy of eights are outward and they have no problem showing that.
0: They're very- so out, Yeah, Outver, outward versus inward focus.
2: Yes, yes. That's a better way to conceptualize it, yes.
0: Makes sense. And ending with the ninth one, the peacemaker, the easygoing, self-effacing type, receptive, reassuring, agreeable, and complacent. So yeah, those are the nine personality types that the Enneagram has synthesized and theorized that everyone belongs to. Del, do you have any thoughts about those nine as a whole?
1: I have absolutely no thoughts of this far. (laughs) I've.
0: (laughs) You're just just taking it in.
1: Yes. I've always had, like, I guess, like an aversion towards personality tests. Mm -hmm. Um, So I haven't, well, that's not true. I've taken, because in in school, we had to take a bunch of them. It was required. They
0: were kind of forced to.
1: Kind of. Yeah. And so I've taken a lot of those. but I've never like really cared much, but reading these are is interesting because there's so many, like with the like uh, Myers-Briggs, it's only like you only get four letters, right? But here mm-hmm. it's like this, when you test, ta- like at least when I took the test a couple hours ago, I could like see like the pie and like how much like like each number was like, it was like on a scale, like how much like how much I like it was in me. It was interesting. We'll talk about that in a m- minute though.
0: So uh, yeah, I think it, Comparing this to Myers Briggs is interesting because the Myers Briggs has more combinations and permutations than an Aagram, but an Agram has almost more diversity in like the characteristics. Because it's because, like you said, Emily, it's a lot more holistic than Myers Briggs. Hmm. So this is a good jumping off point. And okay, as we always say with these podcasts, if we have a guest on, or if me and Del are talking about something especially spicy, we always ask for verbal consent from all of the parties affected before we talk about what we talk about. So this is all approved and I am totally okay asking this, Emily, what is your freaking enneagram number?
2: <laughs> My number is the nine. It's so very oh, top of the, <laughs> the circle.
0: You're a peacemaker. I am. Tell me about that. How how did you come about this?
2: Yeah. So actually, um, the first time I ran across the Enneagram was in a course that I was taking in my grad school experience for actually career. (laughs) It was for career assessment, Um, Mm -hmm. which the Enneagram can be used for career. But I think the sole purpose in in its development wasn't necessarily specific to career as the Myers-Briggs was. Um, So... That being said, when we talk about the actual assessment, um, I was required to take this assessment as part of the course. Um, And the Enneagram Institute itself is really the only surefire way to to get like an official quote unquote result. There's plenty of assessments you can take online. a lot of them are really close and, a, and another subset that we haven't even tackled with the Enneagram yet is its whole, you know, dedication to understanding mistyping. Um, mm-hmm. But when you get the, and I'm bringing this up specifically because um, Delaney, I heard, uh, Delaney, excuse me. Mm-hmm. I heard you say that you got a pie chart with your results. Um, not
1: necessarily a pie chart.
2: It was just like, it was
1: circular and a different like pieces in it.
2: Yes. so. That's a really distinguishing difference between like the assessment results you'll get if you were to like go through the actual Enneagram Institute itself. Of course, that's very expensive, which is one reason why I like, guess totally fine to get your results from other uh, places online. Um, but just understanding the variance there is important. Um, if you get it from the Enneagram Institute, what it will do is give you three numbers. So mm. you're not going to get a list of all of them. Um, yeah, and, this and all is your percentages. This is- Right, right. Of all your percentages. And there's a reason for that. So, and to, to be clear, I'm basing this off of like five years ago. So I'm assuming they're still functioning in the same way. If there's any uh, changes that have been made, I'm not aware of those, but last I knew you get three numbers and that's to account for the triads. So when I say triads in this circle, there's nine numbers that can be split up into groups, three groups of three. Those three groups represent different things. So eight, nine, and one at the top there, that's part of the gut triad or the anger triad. Um, And we can dive into the specifics there in a little bit if we have time. Then we have two, three, and four, which is more of a feeling triad. Um, And I believe their emotion is shame. And then we Mm -hmm. have seven, six, and five, which is thinking also associated with fear. So you'll get a result for each triad. And the concept there is that, again, as I said before, we're all, it's all interconnected. And because we have so many vast life experiences, more than likely, you're going to be able to relate to several different numbers. So for my disclosure, my three numbers and one in each triad was nine. Nine was my first one in the gut triad. Then I got two in the feeling triad. And then I got mm-hmm. six in the thinking triad. Um And all three of them, I really relate to. Nine, definitely the most. I was
0: about to ask if you found that reflective of like your actual experience.
2: Yeah, yeah. I felt like it was really relevant. Um, I will say like, I don't feel like I've had an an experience with mistyping personally, although I know that can happen for some people. It's pretty normal. Um, But yeah, I've related to all of them. The first number you'll get, of course, is generally your main functioning. So what you end up functioning as on your baseline level, average health levels, things like that. And then. The other two you should also probably be able to identify with, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm.
0: So, nines are peacemakers, Emily. Yes. Does that mean you just kind of like try to uh, manage crises and like not necessarily like, um, don't necessarily like try to like push an agenda? or what does, what does peacemaking mean in the context of a nine?
2: Yes, okay, that's a great question. So nines are much averse to conflict. Mm. And the reason for that is nine's basic fear is loss and separation. So you'll see if you guys do your research to, to the listeners out there, if they go to the Enneagram Institute, you'll see basic fears and desires for each type. That is a huge motivator for the behaviors that each type kind of engages for least, in. For
0: at least the way I think about Enneagram, those are those are the core things that I think about.
2: Yes, yes. And most of your reactions, you can kind of try to kind of, you know, follow it back down to those basic fears and basic desires. So basic fear of the nine, like I said, loss and separation, the desire is to have inner stability or peace of mind. So a lot of that, while it can seem like we want outside peace, it's really to restore inside piece and so that's a distinction for the nines at their own journey but yes um nines are very good at seeing both sides of a situation they usually make really good mediators they usually make really good counselors surprise um that's what I chose to do for my own uh profession there so
0: I feel like they make really good politicians too
2: (laughs) yeah politicians I think (laughs) just like wow, I don't have an
0: opinion about anything but I can talk about it a lot
2: Sure. Possibly. The idea of a politician like stresses me out (laughs) personally as a nine, just because there's a lot of, a lot of feedback you get from everybody. Oh Um, yeah. Nines couldn't be politicians. I think that nines, if they do their work on themselves and grow and learn, learn more about themselves, they can really be a source of power.
0: I feel like a nine, a nine with an eight wing would be a, would be a strong politician.
2: Sure. Yes. Nine with an eight wing.
0: wing. And we, we haven't mentioned wings yet, so I'll, I'll let you mention that in whenever you feel is the right time. Okay. Well, I guess
2: (laughs) I, I was, I was just saying that, um, nines like to do that, that kind of all encompassing understanding of what's going on. Um, part of that is, you know, the only other thing I'll, I'll say, um, to give space for other people to jump into is nines being at the top of the Enneagram. So the circle as a whole nines tend to embody all the numbers. And in that way, when you read, you know, the easygoing self-effacing type, it's really easy for nines to not have a sense of who they are. Like Mm -hmm. they identify through everybody else, which is part of what makes them such good mediators, right? Such good um, empathizers and able to negotiate and help people reduce conflict because they really truly empathize and understand all sides. The flip side of think, that, do though. Do you think
0: it's fair to say they're the most empathetic of all the numbers?
2: I think they're up there with twos. <laughs> twos can yeah. be really, I think the the motivation for empathy is um, a, a different. bit different between nines and twos. But yes, nines can be very, very empathetic, um, almost to the point where you like lose yourself in that. Um, which, you know, as, as everything, there's two sides of a coin. So strength that they're able to help people and reduce conflict and negotiate, and mediate. And then also like, where do you draw the line between genuine thought that you have for yourself versus what you've taken on from somebody else around you? Mm -hmm.
0: That is fascinating. So have you found, so what you said that oftentimes when we receive like our number from like a test. Um, and if we feel a little bit uncomfortable by it, then, uh, we're on the right track. Did you feel uncomfortable when it started talking about a, a nine's core fears? Um,
2: it wasn't so much the fear, but I was very resistant. And I'll tell you why. Um, the fear of loss and separation makes 100% sense to me. I really, it, that really is like a core part of who I am. And it's also one mm-hmm. of the reasons why you avoid conflict because the thought is if I am myself, if I show up and that offends somebody, they're going to leave. And it's going to, yeah, it's going to, you're going to lose the- that intimacy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the key for me was really the anger piece. So n- <laughs> nines are in the anger triad. A lot of the time, our gut emotional response to anything that is triggering or, you know, kind of hits on that core piece is anger. Mm -hmm. Um, I never felt like an angry person, like ever until I took this test. (laughs) Um, And I truly thought that my nine should have been the two. Like I was convinced before I even took the assessment that two was going to be my number. It was not going to be anything else. So I was very surprised to learn that since then since getting the assessment, I have seen a lot of that anger since, you know, realizing that this was part of myself. And I think that that has come with a long journey of accepting what anger is and using that, right? What does that mean? Does it have to be a threat, right? Because that's another core Mm -hmm. piece of a nine as opposed to an eight. Okay, eights, we talked about that intensive eight, Um, Mm -hmm. they, are very open and outward with their anger nines hold it in because of the Mm, threat it has. It feels like, yes, it's internalized and very much we're almost repressed. Like I said, I didn't even realize I was, could be an quote unquote angry person until I took this, until I took this assessment, but it's true. It is there. Um, And the reason it's repressed is because it poses a threat, right. To the connections Mm. and the relationships that nines hold. um, And that in, You know, it's very much intertwined with conflict as well, right? That anger piece and being afraid to express that for fear that there'll be rejection and loss after.
0: Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So um, I guess it's time for me to reveal my number. I am a three. And um, kind of like recapping what threes are. Reading from the Enneagram I actually clicked on the thing this time. Um, threes are self-assured, attractive, and charming. Um, they're diplomatic employees They typically have problems with competitiveness and workaholism. Achievement-oriented. So yeah, I uh I resisted hardcore um when I first kind of like started navigating this. And here's the deal, everybody. I have I have a confession to make about the Enneagram. And this might disqualify me from really considering myself a true fan of the Enneagram and that's okay. You can gatekeep me if you want to. I have never taken any tests for the Enneagram. I had someone tell me what they thought I was and give the reasoning behind it and have me read through the descriptors for the Enneagram and think it through. And I did ultimately accept their interpretation that I am a three.
2: That is interesting. I don't think I ever knew that about you, <laughs> Curtis.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I was kind of scared to tell you. But uh, oh. this is the podcast of being vulnerable and open with people. So, yep. Yeah. I, I, uh, I realize that's the thing you're not supposed to do is like tell someone what number you think they are. But uh, I am a recipient of that. And I was and I fought it. I was like, I am not a three. I don't care about my image or what people think of me while lying through my teeth at this person. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I kind of meditated on the fact that like, the basic fear of threes is of being worthless. And I, re- I realized like throughout my life, I've always felt the most kind of like happy. Um, and I, I use happy very intentionally because happiness and sadness are both leading emotions, right? Um, not necessarily content, but happy when I'm being praised for something, or if someone's telling me I'm doing a, a good job. In a relationship context, threes want, in both a sexual sense and a non-sexual sense, to be the best you've ever had. And anything less is going to make them feel really messed up. If they're not, like, A, aware of the fact that like they're like that, or if they're just unhealthy in general so that's one kind of like the threes constant fight and the older i've gotten the more i'm like oh yeah like that. i identify with all of this um but it's easy to like kind of focus and I, i'm sure you've gone through this journey emily of like focus on like all the negative aspects of your enneagram because the enneagram hits you hard with your weaknesses right mm-hmm. but i think a strength of it is it it equally hits you with your strengths. You just don't focus on that part because we're human beings. And so basic desire of threes is to feel valuable and worthwhile. And I love, so if you click on your, on any types on the Neagram website, um, and in the opening paragraph at the bottom, it says at their best, they're self accepting, authentic, everything they seem to be role models who inspire others. And that's something as I've gotten over that I've also focused on is kind of like trying to eliminate inconsistencies in my life. I want my actions to like match my beliefs and I want that to be true religiously, just relationally and everything, everything in terms of that. And I found that like a lot of people like don't think that way. Like most people are just naturally authentic in that way. Like, I feel like, for example, eights have a tendency to just say what they mean, mean what they say, and they ne- they don't have any identity issues like and I think that's that's another reason why I identify with the nines, Emily is because um we haven't mentioned this yet, but um you tend to grow towards a number and what's it what's it called deconstruct towards a number or devolve what was that's not the word
2: right um. I'm not entirely certain what the exact wording is, but I think the concept is you take on traits from others, a particular number when you're stressed. Mm -hmm. So you stress, you
0: stress into a number. Yeah. Right. So I grow into a six, which is more security oriented, loyal, and I actually stress into a nine and I stress into an unhealthy version of Emily, basically. (laughs) Right. So threes are also very flexible socially. They can match their energy to people. They can make other people feel really great about themselves. But threes, similar to nines, sometimes have a tendency to lose themselves. Mm. And I think that's why threes stress into unhealthy versions of nines, is because of that like, sense of identity loss and like that sense of like, who am I? And uh, right. it's it's an interesting uh, interesting struggle, because like I've definitely had like breakthroughs in my life. where I'm like, oh, I feel like I've actually like figured out who I am. So Emily, question: um, Since we both kind of knew the Enneagram before we met each other, were you surprised that I was a three? Or were you like, nope, that just about makes sense?
2: Um- Honestly, I feel like when I remember discussing the Enneagram with you, it was like one of the first times I had ever met you. Like, I'm pretty sure. That's true. We kind of just started with that, didn't we? We hit it off. Yeah. And I think, um, if anything, it was more eye-opening, um, simply because I was still getting to know you. But I think that I remember thinking the energy matched. So your energy and the way you're, um, presenting yourself matched with a three and it just gave me an idea of, of who you were and what I, some of the things I could expect from you. Um, I wouldn't say that I was neither, you know, surprised or, you know, not surprised, but I do feel like um, mm-hmm. it matched with your energy and it gave me an idea of what our friendship could be like.
0: I feel like we've lived up to the hype so far.
2: Yeah, I think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so yeah, Dell. What are your thoughts about all this number talk with me and Emily?
1: Um,
0: Does it all make sense?
1: Yes. Like what you know
0: about me specifically?
1: It makes sense. I'm going to be very, very honest and say that I don't think it's ever something I'll be as passionate about. Oh, that's totally um, fine. I think I'm more interested in things like, um, I don't know, other things. But, but I do find the science behind it and the discussion to be interesting to a point. And so I'm interested, like I like hearing like what your types are. Um, I'll be honest, like when we went through all nine, my brain wandered, but hearing like specifically what Emily is like and specifically mm-hmm. what Curtis is like, that piques my interest. And yeah,
0: so totally. Yeah. And like reading through the nine, the nine types was just more for like a general, like anybody who's listening has oh, yeah. never heard of this before. And I it's think like, it was oh, please so do the nine.
1: I think it was important. I wasn't trying to say it wasn't. I think it's important. No,
0: really, no, no.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I just think that my Uh, brain power isn't able to grasp, but also I couldn't sit here and like recite back to you what they were. I did hear like the couple of them that stuck out to me, so it was really interesting to hear um, what y'all were. That was really interesting.
0: And I think it's important um, and we'll, yeah, we should have time um, at the end because at the end we're going to talk about like why in me and Emily's experience we don't feel like it put us in a box.
1: Okay, that's good. So I think that's my, like, my, my aversion towards personality so tests. I think is mm-hmm. that. And so I think it'd be good to kind of enlighten me on that.
0: Mm-hmm. But without further ado, Dell, you took an enneagram test.
1: I took four.
0: You took four?
1: I took four. Oh,
0: <laughs> man. Oh, man. <laughs> Did you get the same result with all four?
1: I got two different results with all four.
0: Oh, gosh. Emily, yeah, I don't and- know what to do
1: to be very clear I actually took one of them twice because the first time I took it I didn't pay attention to it very closely and so I took it again Mm -hmm. and I got a different number and so I will discuss it and maybe y'all can enlighten me as to why they're different
0: interesting
1: yeah it's exciting
0: so before that Del you wanted to kind of give us a little information about yourself so that me and Emily can maybe guess what your number is with your permission.
1: And I realize that's typically frowned upon. It's something I specifically asked if Emily and Chris were willing to do and they have graciously agreed to do just because um, I'm okay with it and I'm interested in hearing y'all's opinion. So Emily, you and I don't know each other. So um, I'm not sure what exactly information you'd want to know to kind of give you an idea of who I am. Um, Curtis, help me out. Give me some guiding questions.
0: <laughs> um, so, okay. Del, tell me what is a context in which you feel energized and what's the context in which you feel like your energy is drained?
1: Oh, see, that's a tricky one. See, I feel energized. <laughs> I, the thing is, and it's funny that we bring that up because I took the Myers break also this morning because <laughs> mm. I was just on one.
0: You're just on it.
1: I was on it. I was at the front desk at the gym working. And so I had three hours to do all of this in, and I did it. But um, I kind of, I get energized from both being alone and being with people. But if I'm with people too much, I get frustrated. And if I'm get if I'm alone too much, I get depressed. And so oh, I have gross. to have like a perfect balance it really is a perfect balance of like 50 50.
0: Interesting Emily do you have a question that you'd like to ask her?
2: Um, I have, I'm sure I have a lot of questions I could ask her. <laughs> um, I think the first one is just like what you feel you you feel is important to your life like your values and things like are there any values you hold close to you that you feel are like a defining feature of how you function and how you enjoy living your life?
1: That's a good question. So, um, when it comes to quality, my my quality time, I spend a lot of time with my family and friends. And my friends, I am very very selective. I did not used to be, but now I have very few friends. But I'm all very, I'm close with all of them. And um, I spent a lot of time working, but not because I, well, maybe it is because I'm workaholic. I'm getting two master's degree. I'm getting a dual master's degree and that was optional. And so I think I'm a little bit overly driven in some areas like that. I value work probably more than I should, but um, I also like structure which I'm not naturally like that. Naturally, I'm a very messy person, but you'll never find my room a mess nowadays. Nowadays, my room is always spotless. My house, my mom's house is always spotless. My car is always spotless. I can tell you like right now how many pieces of garbage I have in my car, which is a napkin in my passenger seat pocket. And I know that because it drives me nuts until it's thrown away. And I'm not like that naturally. It's something I learned, like I taught myself to help myself be more um, efficient in my life. Mm.
0: Um, Okay, so another question I would have is, do you find yourself, like, kind of gravitating towards commitments, or being more, like, hesitant to commit to things?
1: Oh, I'm hesitant. Mm -hmm. I like being able to do what what I want to do when I want to do it.
0: That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Emily, are you percolating on some ideas for numbers yet? Yeah. I am too. <laughs> okay. So Dell, can we just like discuss this right in front of you?
1: Yes, absolutely. And also, um, Curtis, feel free to let Emily know anything that you personally yeah. know about me.
0: Oh yeah, totally. Add to it. Yep. I, w- I feel like I asked a few point questions about stuff that I would have just told her anyway. So, yes. <laughs> um, okay. So Emily, what's the first number that pops into your head?
2: So right off the bat, I'm leaning towards seven. Um, yeah, Base just because she mentioned almost like that ambivert experience and so sevens mm-hmm. sevens really like to have fun and um enjoy life and enjoy their friends but then they also can be easily exhausted by that so when mm-hmm. she mentioned like striking the balance i felt like that felt like um something that a seven does experience um and i also know a few sevens in my life who also have a hard time with commitment um mm-hmm. and you know that's why I, that's
0: specifically why i asked the commitment question i was like is, yeah. this is the seven question
2: <laughs> right right um so i i'm hearing that but then i also heard like her you know resistance to being put in a in a box, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so that initially made me think possibly a four, but then I, I feel like um, Delaney is very much present here and putting herself in a space to be seen pretty frequently. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that could could be right could be a very stressful situation for a four. Um, and in a full transparency, I only know a couple of fours in my life, so I wouldn't say that I'm as familiar. With the fours process, um, so four's I'm a, little, a bias bunch. there. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I'd say that, like, um, from the full experience that I've had being Dell's friend, um, more gotten to know her. The more I think seven, but I also think there's a chance that she would test as a three. Three, mm. because Dell, you're also very achievement oriented.
1: Yeah. it's But true. I
0: don't, but I don't know if that's innate or if it's something that you taught yourself.
2: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cause that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> how, <laughs> how we adapt and what we're told. Yes. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another question for you, which is like, what kind of things do you get upset about? Like if you're willing to share some things that like really bother you or you have like pet peeves or things that you feel like strongly about?
1: Yeah. So the number one thing that upsets me is being left out, which I just recently realized. I hadn't realized that before until about the past month, month and a half. I get angry about things, usually at my boyfriend, and I would never tell him because I knew it was petty. And then gone, I'm like, why am I upset about this? And I was like, oh, it's because I'm left out. And make sure he
0: doesn't
1: listen to this <laughs> he doesn't listen to my podcast it's fine <laughs> i'll tell him anyway but it's just interesting because i know it's not a lot of times it's not his fault and so i keep it to myself i deal with it on my own but being left out is the number one thing um and it's been like that my whole life i've always wondered like what triggers me i just know i get upset and i think it's big being left out and that's what gets i mean pet peeves um people who are rude that's probably my biggest pet peeve mm-hmm
2: okay so now I'm now I'm hmm
0: <laughs> well, how, what does That's that tell you
2: I mean that being I mean I feel like being left out is also very seven
0: yeah like I think, so too. I think because that they're, that, they're adventurous
2: yeah I think that that makes sense um it's interesting actually I just have a million thoughts going on in my mind and I like to be thorough and make sure I'm thinking about things <laughs> but um you said you deal with it, like, kind of on your own. Do you feel like that's your go-to, like, method for, for when you're stressed is, like, an internal process?
1: Yes. I, I, even when I've had, like, things happen, like a death of a family member or a friend, I don't usually tell anybody, even my, my parents or my friends closest to me, unless it's something, like, it's life-altering. I usually keep it mm-hmm. to myself.
2: Okay. um, I have a follow-up question. Is yes. that okay? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, What do you think about like really uncomfortable topics? Like when you think about pain and discomfort and things like that.
1: I don't mind like talking about things like that. Usually like I, in fact, I almost like, like, and I enjoy it talking about things like that are upsetting in typical situations. However, if it's personal, like if I'm telling someone about a hard time I'm going through, I struggle with that. I struggle with being transparent about how hard something is for me. Or um, how I truly feel about something. And I'm not sure why. But like admitting to a feeling is difficult for me. Yeah.
0: We can I ask a follow-up question? Yes. Dell, do you feel like, do you have the sense that like you are strong enough to get through anything that gets thrown at you? Yes. And you feel like to a certain degree, you are strong enough to get through that. By processing it alone.
1: Yes. Which I I realized uh, was arrogant. <laughs> but no, it's it's not true. arrogant no, no, at all. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and like you're one of the strongest people I know, so that tracks. Oh, thank you, Emily. If if if, if she's not a seven, I'm going to be very surprised.
2: Yeah, I feel like at least one of your numbers would probably mm-hmm. be a seven. So when I'm thinking about, um, the, the way in which I received my results from the, the legitimate assessment itself, I feel like of the thinking triad seven makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, and yes. Um, and I guess, you know, when you, cause when you're talking about, you really care about work, do you, how do you feel about your work?
1: I love my work. Okay, so
2: it's something you're passionate about.
1: Yes, and y- almost whatever job I have, I love. Okay.
2: Well, I'm definitely leaning towards seven. If I'm being, if I'm being honest, um, but I also, just for the people who are listening, as just a disclaimer that there, there's so much that goes into this. It's really hard mm-hmm. to like pinpoint exactly what it is. And there's, there's definitely a more vulnerable layer to the Enneagram, which we haven't really talked about, which is part of the reason why they discourage people from doing this unless it's like, you know, we're, we're doing this in a safe consensual way. But, um, yeah, so I, I'm thinking seven, I'm not really sure at this point what the other two numbers would be. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm looking, you know, kind of in my mind at the triads here. Um,
0: yeah, I'm trying to think which one of the gut triads she would be. Yeah. Which is, which is eight, nine, and one, right?
2: Right. Part of me leans towards, um, I think it's between nine or one.
0: Yeah, I think so too.
2: And nine came up for me when she said she didn't like being left out. I think that's very much seven also, but for a split Mm -hmm. second, I was like, oh, that like makes Sense because a huge issue for a nine is feeling unseen Mm. and they, I hate feeling unseen. I even, Mm -hmm. and this is just the side, side comment. Like I was even angry when I first learned about the Enneagram because my teachers seemed, it seemed like she spent more time on all the numbers except for nine and that made me really (laughs) angry, which is uh,
0: very much nine.
2: (laughs) So um, that part kind of made me think of, of the nine. Um, But, I'm honestly not certain um, about that. I'm not sure. How do, you, how do you feel about like your moral compass? Is that something you feel is pretty strong or you feel like that's much a gray area? What are your thoughts on that?
1: So I think it's kind of gray. Um, okay. Yeah, I honest. agree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
0: me, me and Dell are both hella gray people at yes. this point.
1: Yes, and when we first met, I think Curtis was you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you were more black and white, and my way of oh, yeah. just like baffled him, and it was funny to watch. Oh
0: yeah, I did not understand Dell at all.
1: No. <laughs> okay.
2: All right. Um.
0: So I'm I'm definitely leaning nine for that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um seven nine, and then two three and f- two three and four.
0: I don't think he's a four,
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm not you mentioned three earlier, so maybe I mean that's
0: just that's just what I would lean to just because of like the achieving and the right. like the love of like working type of angle to it mm-hmm. um she could have tested two, sure,
2: but
0: yeah feeling more three
2: um. When you like describe yourself, like what is, what's one of the most important things you'd want someone to know? Like, if you're like, oh, who, who are you? Like, what are some things that you would like initially describe as being your
1: who you are? I would describe myself as easygoing, accepting, and probably compassionate. Hmm.
2: Okay. So that makes me lean towards two, mm-hmm. um, Curtis, just because yeah. that's really important for twos. Mm-hmm. so twos like really that is like a huge defining factor for a two is feeling like they are a good friend like they're friendly they uh, somewhere you can help feel loved sorry I, I missed what you said could you repeat that please
0: oh I, I just said that twos want to be known as somewhere that you can always find love right and acceptance right,
2: right. yeah um I mean, of course, this is all on like just stuff I'm I'm hearing now for the first time, but I feel like um, that feels very much like a two, like wanting wanting people to know that and valuing that. Like that tells me that that's something you value. Um, I mean, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like that's something that you care about or at least care about people seeing. I'm not sure. There could be some differences there. And like, this is where we haven't even talked about the whole, you briefly mentioned socializing. So there might be some things there too. I'm not sure (laughs) when we talk about human development and personality and who we are, there's so many different layers to that um, that there's just no way we could talk about it all in one hour, Um, but yeah.
0: So Emily, are you comfortable saying that we agree that her most likely number is a seven followed by a nine?
2: I, am I'm confident that seven is really, um, applicable here. I'm not mm-hmm. sure what I'd say would come first between the nine or the two, in my opinion, that's um, fair. because those are really, those can be really similar. And mm-hmm. with my assessment results too, they were really up there in terms of, um, scoring, but I feel like seven is what I'm leaning towards just based off of what I've, I've seen. So I'm, curious to know what you got I know you said your results varied um and we can talk about that some too because there's a whole subsection about mistyping
1: so that interests me because I'm really really wanting to take the real test now at some point um totally should so, yes I really want to now because what you so I can I reveal my answers is that okay yes sure please yeah. reveal it okay. reveal it to the court. So, I have always been told that I'm a seven. Everyone's always guessed a seven, which I know they're not supposed to. I didn't know that, but everyone's always guessed that I was a seven. And when I read it many years ago, because I did read about it um, back in college, I thought I was a seven. I did not get a seven. I will say that. I got um two different numbers and I got a one and I got a two between the four tests. And I feel... That is wild. I know. I don't feel like that's... I think that's... What, what did you call it? A, miss, a miss, um, mistype. mistype. I think it's a mistype because I don't feel that way, but I could be wrong. I don't know anything about personality tests, and so I could be wrong. Um, I've always thought that I fit more into the seven or the three personally, but I'm not the test administrator, so I don't know, <laughs> but I want to take the real test now. It's piqued my curiosity.
2: So if you go to the Enneagram Institute, actually, there should be a whole section, yeah, on misidentifications, and you can read up on every, every combination. So I believe if you go and you click type seven, two, Mm -hmm. misidentifying twos and sevens, and it will, it's like seven paragraphs on how that can happen. Mm -hmm. Um. I'm not sure. So I obviously have no idea what your history is or what, how you were up, you know, brought up, you know, growing up. Mm-hmm. But I think oftentimes a lot of women specifically, and I remember learning this in my course when I took it, often do get mistyped as twos. Oh, okay. And I think that that is part of that socialization piece and like
0: yep. the mm-hmm. emphasis
2: on, even if it's not necessarily who we are, there's this social pressure to present that way. Mm-hmm. So be nurturing basically. Yeah. And it's like so ingrained that it's hard to to kind of like differentiate there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think and especially to so um I'm not gonna like talk about your your career path and what you chose unless you're willing to go there, but it sounded like your field is a, at least somewhat similar. And so if your field is something that um is associated with caring and nurturing too. um, I feel like that's also a possible contributor um, in terms of work identity, because that is a huge role also, right? You mean you're at work most of the time if you're not home. Um, So I think that, you know, thinking about mistyping, that would make sense too. Wow,
1: I hadn't thought of that. That's true. Interesting. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in taking the the uh, actual assessment now. Yes. So Del, do, you, do you
0: feel do you, do you feel guess. stronger like that one or two is more accurate between the two of those?
1: Uh to be honest, um I didn't uh when I first okay, so the first one I took, I got a 2. And I I had already had three other windows open on the computer. So I just went and took the other ones. But as soon as I read two, I was like, no, that's not right. That's what I have to be to be a good friend and to be good at work. Mm. That's not who I am. And I took it again. That's what you have to
0: present as.
1: Yes. And the second time I took it, I got a two in the second exam. And then I was like, well, maybe it is true. And then when I got a one, I didn't even read it (laughs) because I was so over it. (laughs) But um, the, the one is more like the moral kind of, is that right? The moral? Yeah, because yes. the, their
0: basic fear is of being corrupt slash evil okay. or defective. So
1: I carry a lot of guilt and I'm not sure where mm. it's rooted from. But if I do something that's even slightly wrong in any area of life, whether it be like a decision I make or a mistake at work, I feel so guilty. And I think that's might be where I kind of maybe answered kind of more geared toward that but I don't know. I would like to take the real test and find out what I really am.
2: Yeah, that's, and guilt too. You, I hear guilt and then I think shame. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if that's there, I think two twos fall into that shame piece. So we mentioned um, just in passing the three emotions. Um, so that might be, if you feel like that's a strong piece for you, like it could be that Two could be something that you got in your three results. Um, you know, the more I hear that, the more I think that that probably would be something you'd get, um, even if it wasn't your first number. Mm. Um, but I will say, like, even like, if you had chose to take in the, to take the official assessment, um, it's possible that they might have gotten it more accurate. Um, and it's also still possible that they didn't. And that's one of the things that I really love about this assessment is that it's so down to earth and honest about the variance um, and the, the entire way it's constructed is that like even though you may not personally you know growing up started as a to the socialization and maybe your work path and whatever like led to you adopting some of those traits in some capacity right um, and so that's where that's coming up right especially if it's something you're you're kind of involved with or or have to put forward in your day-to-day life too. It would make sense that so that'd be more accurate. So um, I just say that because for those who do listen and might want to take the actual assessment, like I also want to assure everybody that there's not a surefire way to get a 100% accurate typing, but that if you do feel frustrated that you got mistyped, I would definitely encourage reading up on the mistyping because it goes into mm-hmm. a lot of detail about how that happens. And I think that um, that can do a lot in trying to satisfy that gap because it is frustrating, (laughs) especially with long assessments to put all that time and effort. And then you get something that doesn't feel like it's you. And you're like, what the heck, why would I waste my time with this? Um, So I would encourage you to look at, look into that. If you feel interested, if not, you know, it's not a big deal or you don't have to be interested or invested in it, but it's there if you want it.
1: That was very informative. Thank you for that. I'm actually, it's at the beginning of this episode. I not the beginning, at the middle of this episode, I was struggling to like concentrate on each of the types. But now that I've heard you guys discuss, this doesn't sound very self-centered, but discuss me <laughs> and where I fit, I'm much more interested now. And I want to go look into it.
0: Okay, sometimes yeah. that's what it takes. You gotta like personalize it. I guess. Like, oh, so. do I what what parts of this type do I identify with? Because like yeah. like Emily mentioned, like we both identify with all of the types to a certain degree.
1: Right. Yeah. So
0: before we wrap up, um, I wanted to mention a little bit about like why me and Emily don't feel like the Enneagram puts us in a box, like a lot of personality types do. Emily, did you want to start off that conversation about why you don't feel like the Enneagram is like restrictive to like how you think of yourself?
2: Yeah. So, okay. So first of all, I'm biased because I do love personality. And you know what? It makes sense because I'm a nine and nines feel like they have a hard time figuring out who they are. So of course I like personality, right? And threes have similar struggles, so
0: we love it too.
2: Yeah. Lends to that, right? Like this deep need to understand. Um, But I've always felt like when I think about personality and the concept of not wanting to be in a box, because I understand that too, right? You want to be who you are and it's having any sort of individualism threatened is like that feels horrible even to me as an eye yeah. um anyway. so the way i view personality is very much almost like a biological how we describe a genotype versus a phenotype so oh god correct forgive me if i switch these two because i did not major in biology and it's been a long time but i'm pretty Good sure hot take,
0: biology is stupid
2: <laughs> i'm pretty sure <laughs> genotype is like basically in our cells and phenotype is how like our physical appearances is presented i'm pretty sure you're right i think i think i'm right i'm not entirely sure i'm pretty sure though um so i see personality assessment as like our bones like it's very much like underneath the surface how we move how we get places how we understand but who we are in the individualism that we hold is like the color of our hair the color of our eyes um of those things that make us unique freckles having a beauty mark on your chin versus your shoulder or having like i have a dimple for some reason on the back of my shoulder um that's a pretty weird random fact so i think that when i view it that way it makes a lot more sense and especially with enneagram being like childhood wounds like we all go through development we all have to grow up in this world and so in that way it makes sense to imagine that there would be some common ground between everybody, simply because we share that, right? We're human and we live here on this planet. And regardless of spirituality and religion, we all are exposed to the things that this life gives us, right? Whether that's, you know, traumatic experiences, wonderful, joyous experiences, we all get that. And so those things shape us, giving us those bones and that personality piece. And then what we take from it, that's that's who we are. That's how we start getting that individualistic piece of, um, things that make us unique from others, um, and things like that. But I could, I could ramble that's, that's where I'll end that, but that's kind of how I, how I perceive personality versus individualism. Wow.
1: That was awesome.
0: That is incredible. And I want everybody to like clip that part out and, (laughs) uh, listen to it when you wake up every morning because you need it. Um, Yeah. And in terms of like how I think about it, um, I just think that the Enneagram is not built to limit what you can be. It's built to like give you a possible or several possible growth paths. Because like if you say, oh, I'm a three, so I struggle with worth and senses of self-worth then um, the Enneagram also presents like what does a healthy version of this look like and what are um, and what if you scroll down you'll see like different levels of your number from I think one to nine one being super healthy and nine being like barely functional and so you kind of see the progression of, like oh what does growth look like for this number and I think that's really helpful and like it's really meant a lot to me over the years.
2: Yes, yeah, I like that you're bringing that up. The levels of development. Um, if if anyone takes away anything from this, if you're interested, please do your own research and read because there is so much to this that we cannot possibly cover in one in one um, podcast episode. But yeah, you're just gonna um, have to
0: come back sometime. <laughs>
2: <again>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do a continuation. That would be fun. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest takeaway from the Enneagram is that it's very human. It's very raw. Um, it's very vulnerable and if you're open to it, it can be a really good tool for future growth and where you want to go. I feel like it's very empowering in that way. And I think, you know, the last kind of thought I'll offer in regards to that is as a nine being the quote unquote crown of the Enneagram, the one at the top that doesn't really have a whole lot of identity and whatnot and so forth, probably going to be a lifelong journey for me. Um, I feel like the Enneagram just recently made me realize like, Hey, I'm in the anger triad. And anger is a very powerful emotion, right? And when you think about the other two on the anger tribe, they're very powerful movement types. And I thought, where is that for me, right? Like I must have that that capacity, right? To reach that. And I thought, wow, that's something I want for myself. And so now, like literally within the past few weeks, I've been really embodying that, like, where is my power? Because that's obviously something I can connect to if I look for it and, you know, take my own journey towards growth and healing. So I think that it opens up a lot of doors for new realizations of who we are, who we want to be, right? And how we want to get there. And it gives realistic, you know, ways to achieve that in a way that is, can be a little bit raw, but also strangely affirming and knowing that it's okay, right? It's okay for things to be raw and vulnerable. And this is just what Mm -hmm. it means to be human.
0: And with Um, growth, sometimes it takes a cut to heal a wound.
1: Sure.
0: So Del, did you have any final thoughts before we wrap this baby up?
1: No, I think that last statement that Emily had was beautiful and I think that's a Absolute great fire. note to end on.
0: Emily, thank you so much for joining us on uh, our maiden voyage of Deconstructing Season 2. You did yes. not disappoint.
2: Thank you for having me. It was an honor to be a part of it.
1: We are very grateful and so glad you're our first guest. What a great way to start out the season, eh?
0: Absolutely. You're definitely in the top 10 guests we've ever had.
1: We've only had like four.
0: (laughs) Hey, (laughs) he doesn't need to know that.
1: I'm just grateful to get to be one. Oh yeah, you were (laughs)
0: stupendous.
1: Yes, we are so grateful.
0: But uh, Emily, what we do is um, I'm going to sign us off. I'm going to say my name. Del's going to say her name. Then you're going to say your name. And uh, then we'll be done. So as always, this has been Deconstructing. I'm Curtis.
1: I'm Delaney. And I'm Emily. Stay loose. Stay loose.